Today is Friday, September 2nd, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for listening over the air, online at kfuo.org or the KFUO app, or through your favorite podcasting app. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We are about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes books that are Bible-based, and Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. So when you get time, visit them at lhfmissions.org to learn more. Now, if you have comments or questions about today's show, maybe you just want to say hi, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. But we're also live on Tuesdays and Fridays. So today you can call in with your comments or your questions at 800-730-2727. Yesterday, St. Paul laid out the Christian duty of submission to those in authority that we must obey those who govern as ministers of God appointed for that purpose. Of course, evil governments exist. An even otherwise good government may step outside of its godly authority at times and demand that we do wicked things. In these cases, as St. Peter and the other apostles said in Acts 5, we must obey God rather than men. Today, the Apostle Paul turns his attention back toward an important topic, one that's dear to him, and that is how Christians treat one another. Specifically, in any congregation, there will be Christians who have differing opinions on how to best put their faith into practice, but not all practices are equal. Still, St. Paul urges those stronger in the faith to not pass judgment on those who are weaker, and for those who are weaker to not do the same. Now, to help us fully understand what the Apostle is teaching here, this morning I'm pleased to welcome, as my guest, the Reverend Kevin Yoakum, pastor of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Riverview, Florida. Pastor Yoakum, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm certainly pleased to have you online. I think we're Facebook friends, but I don't know that we've ever met in person. And so this will be as close as we might be able to get for a while since you're down in Florida. So it's nice to meet you. Uh, before we get started, would you do us a favor by sharing with our listeners just a little bit about how God is working through your ministry and through your congregation? Okay. Yeah, uh, so Christ the King Lutheran Church in Riverview is along uh, Tampa Bay. So we're just across the bay from uh, Pinellas and uh, St. Petersburg and Clearwater areas. We're on the, the main side, the mainland of the bay. And uh, we're a small congregation. And we are, um, I think we are just situated perfectly to, to care for the community. And sometimes we struggle uh, to know how we can do that. Uh, but as happens in Florida, we also get winter visitors and, you know, the snowbirds and all that. And they come down to Sun City Center, which is just south of us. And so uh, every year in the, in the wintertime, we get a good handful of uh, people coming from Sun City Center to come and stay with us. And we become great friends with them. And uh, usually after Easter, they, they all leave us and go back up north, and, and we feel like nobody loves us anymore here. Uh, but no, I've been at uh, Christ the King for 
uh, almost 19 years, and uh, we've been doing a, a, a wonderful ministry here of growing in Christ and learning His Word and uh, being a, a, just a welcoming place for all people. Um, I get to help the neighboring congregation by helping at their school. I teach the eighth grade uh, religion class there. And right. the congregation is also very supportive of me uh, as I get to help in Sun City Center at a, an assisted living facility and leading their chapel there. And that really is a great outreach to many of the residents who, who can't get out and still want to be able to attend a, a Christian worship service. Well, I know that pastors always appreciate being able to go out into their communities, be involved in ways that not only spread the gospel, but also, you know, shows the community that there is a congregation of Christians nearby that love you and, you know, they want their pastor to be there. So I'm glad that they offer those opportunities to you. Uh, yeah, I'm involved in some of those uh, similar types of things. And so, yeah, it's just wonderful. And I'm so happy to have you here today. Um, we're going to dig in because we have a lot of text to go through. But before we begin, I think it'd be prudent to begin with prayer, and I'd like to invite you to lead us in prayer. Absolutely. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought us to this day and to this hour that we spend in your word. By your Holy Spirit, lead us to Jesus Christ through this message, to rejoice in our salvation, and to joyfully live for our fellow Christian and for our neighbor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, Paul is addressing uh, a tension that is rising between two groups, uh, some that he identifies as the strong and others as the weak. We'll see if that is a value judgment or what he means by that. Um, but let's just begin by getting through some of the text. I want to get it out there. We're in Romans chapter 14, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. For one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, that's just the first four verses, but I'd like to stop there. Uh, Brother Pastor, you know, it says right here, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. I expect that you'll explain to us why vegetarians are weak. Go. <laughs> well, I certainly am a meditarian myself. Um, <laughs> this is uh, really starting to address the, the question in verse 1. Uh, we might kind of say, well, what about the new guy? And in, in different situations, whether it's work or uh, maybe military or the school or different things like that, uh, we love to welcome the new guy by kind of hazing them a little bit or, or chiding them. And, and yet that's exactly the opposite of what uh, Paul is calling here. He says, for the one who's weak, you know, maybe so new, new or immature in the faith or coming from a different culture, you know, the uh, Roman congregation would have been uh, partly Jewish people living in Rome and partly the Gentiles. And so for the one who's 
uh, new in faith, what you should actually do sounds so obvious. You should welcome him and, and treat him as if you're glad he's there. And and so he says, you don't don't start with the new guy. Don't start with the one who's weak in faith by uh, quarreling over opinions, by having a fight over different things. And so uh, in this culture, in that congregation, probably there was a lot of discussion about what foods you can eat because of the, excuse me, the, the Jewish dietary laws as laid out in the Old Testament, and then the, the Gentile approach for food being completely different, and also the Gentile might have had certain practices uh, coming from their pagan practices of offering sacrifices and what to do with the food after that. That's uh, kind of laid out in 1 Corinthians 8, I think. So uh, one will feel comfortable uh, with any kind of food and say, it's all God's gift. It's all given by God. It grew or it was alive. And, but the others might say, well, we should only eat uh, vegetables. And uh, this does not have to speak uh, to the conditions today uh, of why one might choose to eat vegetables. Uh, for nutritious reasons or health reasons, but this is speaking of matters of faith. Do we think that you should only eat certain foods, or uh, as the Lord has called all foods clean in in the Gospels, do we think that we can eat any food and and do it to the glory of God? Right. So that uh, seems to be something that they needed to to work out here, maybe in the Roman congregation, to say how do we do. How do we view each other when it comes to the dietary laws? And yeah, and I'm glad you saying, brought that up. Okay. I mean, obviously, uh -huh. I was just making a little joke about vegetarians. Sure. You know, in this context, you know, you do. You have these two different people. The one who, because of their strength in the faith, because maybe they're a little more mature in the faith, has recognized that, as you said so rightly, that Jesus reminds us all things are declared clean. And so eating certain foods was something for the previous time but the weak person you know is not and correct me if i'm wrong pastor but when we say weak we're not necessarily saying that they're lacking in faith in christ in an absolute sense only that they're as you said new and these people may be bringing over traditions from their jewish roots they might be bringing over traditions even from their pagan roots but now they're doing these sort of things in 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 honor of the one true god so it's not as though weakness equals doesn't believe enough in Jesus. It's really about spiritual maturity. And, they, and they're both being, you know, criticized, or I shouldn't say criticized, but reminded by Paul, both sides, to not be in judgment of one another, although he certainly seems to be directing it mostly to the strong. Right, and I think uh, exactly what you said, it's not about... Uh, uh, a lack of faith, but someone who's weak may be saying that uh, they're unsure. The, the Lutheran Study Bible, the footnote for the, this says the weak in faith are unsure of the extent of their freedom. You know, we have this wonderful freedom in the gospel, but how far does that go if I uh, grew up with certain traditions or certain values, you know, regarding, um, you know, in the, in the Jewish tradition and in, according to the Old Testament laws, certain foods were unclean and we're not kosher. And so how am I to view that if I grew up with those attitudes now in the gospel? And here's my uh, Christian across the aisle who's from Rome 
and he's uh, chomping down on a, a nice burger uh, or a nice piece of pork or something and that's not something I felt I should do myself and there may be that challenge and honestly you know the the weak in faith or the strong in faith might be the uh, uh, those who are hesitant or or confident you know and it doesn't really mean that the strong in faith might maybe be mature too he might be wrong and he's actually Paul is actually trying to address if you are not the weak in faith uh, you could still be wrong in how you're treating the weak in faith so it might be you know, someone who thinks they're strong in faith might actually be dealing with a little bit of arrogance. Yeah, I mean, it does appear because the word weak is, you know, somewhat pejorative. You know, it's, a, it's an insult to call someone weak in general. Um, is Paul making, uh, you know, a value judgment here when he calls one section strong, even though he's giving them, you know, this admonition to not judge the weak? It also appears if the, he's also saying though, but the strong is are right in in terms of not being limited by what they eat. Uh, I, I I would not say that Paul is is putting down the weak. I would say that he's probably viewing them, uh, we might say, as children in the faith that need to grow, or can grow, and you know we would treat a child who is a Christian with a great amount of patience in trying to learn how they should behave and we would be saying you know that's that's actually not what the the gospel calls for or that is a behavior that uh, jesus actually speaks against you know we'd be very patient with a child but if someone comes in at a, a full age a mature age and yet they still are learning how the practice of the faith you know someone call it you know holy living how are living out the faith is uh, to be to be understood, and are there boundaries to that? And are you sure I can eat pork now with cheese? You know, and uh, the the pagan might be, or the one who used to be pagan might be struggling to say, uh, but was this food sacrificed to a Greek god or a Roman god? Uh, can I now eat that, or would that create some sort of a defilement inside me? And, and so, uh, to those who are weak in the faith, he's actually saying, welcome them. And don't quarrel over things that are not commanded in Scripture. Don't quarrel over these opinions. Um, and, and don't dis, don't look down on them with despising, in verse 3, you know. And don't pass judgment on the one who eats. You know, if you're the one who abstains, don't say, oh, they're, they're getting into all of this. As I read this, I'm also seeing through my own lens of growing up as, as an American Christian, and, and maybe some of our uh, piety and our views on the use of alcohol in the, you know, Christians in America have had uh, many different views on what that could be. And that just kept coming to mind for me is, uh, you know, how different Christians might view the use of alcohol within uh, the Christian faith or just within daily life. I always found it interesting that historically during Prohibition, the Lutheran faith was one of the church bodies that was against prohibition and actually marched against those sorts of things. But I totally understand because you are down in Florida. I, where did you grow up, by the way? Oh, I grew up in uh, Liberty, Missouri, right by Kansas City. Yeah, sure. So you were still, you know, a little bit down towards the, the country, the southern side. You know, I was in North Carolina. You know, in these areas, there's a, a high influence by people who, yeah, would see perhaps alcohol 
as being not just something we should not partake in excess of, but also just something we shouldn't take, partake of altogether, teetotalers and that sort of thing. And you're absolutely right. I think that comes up a lot whenever we start to have the weak brother argument. Right. Now, yeah. I want to bring in, uh, now we've been talking yeah. about food so far. If it's okay with you, uh, I want to add something to it. I want to add the next section, but we can still keep talking about food. But let's also add the days because it's not just food that was being a source of division, but days. Let's look at that. Starting with verse 5, I'm going to read through verse, uh, let's read through verse 12. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then... Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, uh, brother, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize for that. I just wanted to get oh, those fine. texts under our belt because they're really going to speak a lot to our conversation that we're having. There's so much more than just food, even though food is definitely a visible element of it. Yes, uh, and this is also, you, we can see a big struggle in this. In, first, in, in the Roman church that he's writing to, and today even, to see how we may struggle over viewing certain days. In the in the biblical context of Romans chapter 14, again, you've got this wonderfully uh, multicultural congregation uh, of Jewish Christians and uh, Roman or Gentile Christians, and uh, they're coming at this with different calendars, with different uh, days that they think are celebrations. So uh, the Jewish faith, those coming from the Jewish faith, would still be saying we have Passover and we have uh, Yom Kippur and we have uh, the Sabbath day. You know, even the Sabbath day, what, what day should we have worship on? And, and they're coming with the whole Jewish festivals and, and the, just the idea of the Sabbath day must be on the seventh day. And uh, the Roman congregation from the Gentiles there may be coming at this with a whole new uh, view on it, saying, well, we just don't share those days. We just don't... Yom Kippur may not mean anything to us. Passover may not mean anything to us. We're uh, still learning, and this has not been imposed on us by the apostles. You look in the book of Acts, and uh, the apostles had to meet and have counsel over this in Acts chapter 15, and decide, well, should we impose Jewish uh, laws on the Gentiles if they become Christian? And it was decided that they would not accept, you know, to not uh, practice sexual immorality and to not uh, eat food with blood in it. And, and so there's a whole lot of Christian freedom there once you uh, understood those two uh, um, uh, abstentions. And, and so here they are saying, well, we, we aren't, 
supposed to judge. Paul is saying we're not supposed to judge those who may want to still practice the Jewish calendar, uh, but understanding Christ. And and maybe the uh, the Gentile Christians just don't have that. And maybe they have some other thing uh, at that time in first century Rome. I'm, I'm not sure what it might have been, uh, but they may have had other days. You know, now we have certain days in our Christian calendar that are not commanded even though we might think of them as unbreakable traditions, you know. Uh, can we imagine being a Christian and not celebrating Christmas? Uh, I can't. But uh, it's actually not a date commanded in Scripture. And so we have freedom in the Gospel in that. But it's an, a long-standing, enduring tradition. Do we, can we envision having a Christian calendar without Easter? I, I Again, I can't, but uh, it's an enduring tradition that is not a commanded day in Scripture. So he says, if, it, if the day is special to you, and if you think this should be a day that is lived as if it is holy to the Lord, then you should live that day and follow your conscience in making those observances. And if you think that this day is not a special day, and it does not convey any holy observances, then you should not feel burdened by abstaining from these practices. Uh, maybe now, one are, easy one. That, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, there are two questions that come to mind, and I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, though. Oh, and, and one is that uh, Paul is talking about not judging the other Christians. The strong should not judge the weak. And the weak should not impose their opinions onto the so-called strong. But there surely is room for teaching a better way. And then my second thought is that in a congregation where you have people who might have these different views about which days are of value and which ones aren't, then how do you decide as a community, which ones to observe and celebrate. So as you said, you know, you can't imagine a Christian church that wouldn't do Christmas or Easter, but what about Reformation Day? Or what about New Year's Eve or Thanksgiving Day or Thanksgiving Eve? You know, these, I think, are, are situations that our, our listeners may be even facing today where a congregation has said, well, we've always done it X, Y, and Z. Or there's people who say, we haven't ever done this, but we really should. We should honor, we should do a 4th of July service to honor our nation. And others say, well, that's not in the liturgical calendar and we shouldn't do it. <laughs> so I think there are still plenty of opportunities, even in 2022, to say, wow, you know, here's some weaker brother stuff and some stronger brother stuff that we need to follow Paul's advice. So where do you see that line between respecting oh each other in the way that we want to exercise our faith or which days or foods we want to celebrate and the opportunity to teach about the Christian freedom and draw the weaker to become more strong. Uh, so, uh, oh, look at the time. Oh, I'm going to have to go now. No. <laughs> um, this is a <laughs> We are almost question. up at our break, but you don't get out of it that easy. <laughs> Uh, this is a, a really good question of where do you find the line? And I think you, uh, the best I can say to start is to find it in Christian love. To say, uh, how, can I, how can loving my neighbor uh, receive what he wants to bring to the table? 
And, and how can my loving my neighbor try to give him what I want to bring to the table? So maybe it is, uh, you know, Reformation. Uh, you know, we just within the Lutheran Church, we've got people that will save a Reformation celebration for uh, the day of October 31st, or they'll have it on the Sunday closest. And the, you know, then we're easy, easily able to fight and quarrel over that opinion of what day should it be. Or uh, maybe one that's more historic would be Ascension. You know, the day of Christ's Ascension. And some churches, uh, you know, you know, we don't have a, a particular Ascension service on that 40th day after Easter. Uh, but others will say, well, you have to. You have to have an Ascension service. And I think there is, say, well, if we come to uh, uh, butting heads over this within a congregation, how can we find a way to say, I want to, to love my brother and receive what he brings, and, and I want to uh, also love my brother by trying to give him what I would like to bring. And it, maybe it's just that uh, mutual respect, and I can't lay it out in in a step-by-step, but I'm also thinking of, you know, this is kind of laid out in Ephesians 5, right before it talks about husbands and wives, it talks about how we submit to one another because of Jesus Christ. Because Christ, and it makes mention of this, that that person is a Christian too, and you're a Christian, and so you have in Christ your commonality. And, you know, I even said in, uh, uh, verse 7 and following, that we don't live to myself, but we live in the Lord. We live to the Lord. And so, really, that's our, our sharing point, our commonality. E- even if I've got someone in my congregation from a different culture uh, that has different Christian traditions, maybe, uh, coming from a different country. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that, just as you have pointed out here, especially for verses 7 and 8 and following, that, yeah, we are all fellow servants of the same God. He uses this illustration of serving and slavery and, and masters and this language we don't like to talk about nowadays uh, because in verse 4 even, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master. So there's an appeal to the fact that we, each of us, are serving the Lord. The Lord is our master. But we also don't live unto ourselves. So there is this not only room for, but really a a compulsion that we have to learn to work together. We need to not be like the world, but be better than that. We live and die to the Lord, but we also, in this life, are in a community brought together by God. And that's, uh, yeah, it's really, really important. Absolutely. We just have like a minute left before the break sure. begins. Do you uh, have anything else that you want to bring up about this section before we come back? We can certainly get back into it. Yeah, I just would point out in verse 7, 8, and 9 uh, that here, as soon as we get to talking about how we live in the Lord, he kind of drops the discussion of food and days. But to say our life is not to be worried about the food or the days, but our life is to be lived in Christ. And so once we look at it in Christ, really the, the discussion of what our foods are and what our days are, how we spend our days, that becomes the nominal discussion. But the priority is to remember that we belong to the Lord. And whether we live or die, we get to enjoy that presence of the Lord. And, and then we get to share that with each other mutually. 
Well, we are going to continue to enjoy the presence of our guest, Pastor Yoakum. We'll be continuing to talk about Romans 14 when we get back. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you on the other side. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Kevin Yoakum, Pastor, Christ the King Lutheran Church in Riverview, Florida. Now, Pastor, during the break, or I'm sorry, right before the break, you had pointed out that by verse 7, Paul is, you know, moving his argument away from things like foods and days and toward our shared identity and salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, anything else about that that we want to keep talking about before we get into the next section, which really just builds on this argument of Paul's? Uh, we had uh, read up through verse 12, and I just was looking at that again as well, and saying, uh, because we live in Christ, verse 10 then goes on to say, so how can you pass judgment? Why, would, why do you pass judgment, or why do you despise your brother? Right? We all have to go before the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, then it, it quotes uh, to, from, verse, or from Isaiah chapter 45, the, what sounds very familiar to us, that every knee shall bow and to every tongue shall confess to God. You know, that's filled out in the book of Acts, or the, excuse me, the book of Philippians. You know, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, so as we all stand before God, really as equals, uh, why do we kind of henpeck each other? Why do we kind of nitpick each other over uh, how we're each trying to live our faith as a Christian? The Greek verb here used for judge means to, you know, pronounced judgment for wrongdoing, and Paul's trying to get the idea across, I believe, that it's not that these things are wrong, but rather when they're done for the Lord, they're done in the right spirit. They may not be necessary, but what is really wrong is judging one another because, well, God is the one who judges, is the one who judges. And so in verse 12, as you said, then each of us will give an account of himself to God. But see, that can be kind of scary too, right? You know, oh, the yeah. idea that we're going to stand before Judgment Day and look at the Lord and say, you know, I kept every Reformation Day. I did all the Ascension <laughs> Days and I only ate vegetables. You know, to try to appeal to that would be foolhardy. In the same way, it would be foolhardy for us to say, oh, I never worried about any of those things. I just did whatever I want because I know that you got me. And uh, <laughs> treating God as though you know, we have no duty to him. 
So, you know, help fill fill out for us a little bit just what it what it means that we're going to give an account on oh. Judgment Day. Uh, a few weeks ago, someone asked this question of what verse is it? And I couldn't come up with an answer where it talks about you'll have to go over your life when you get to heaven and uh, speak towards it. And at the time, I thought, I, I can't remember where that verse might be. <laughs> and here it is today. Uh, each of us will have to give, will give an account of himself to God. Uh, and I, as I was working through this, I'm seeing it's not that we will, uh, you know, if we don't pass the test or if we don't make a good presentation or defense of our life, then oh, now we, we don't get to come through the gates into heaven. No, I think this means is that, you know, we still, the rest of Scripture is clear. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But then we may still give this account of how we lived and to say, I, I lived uh, many times as a wretched sinner. And I lived uh, many times as one struggling uh, with faith in Christ. And I lived many times uh, confident and joyous in Christ. But uh, through it all, whether I was uh, uh, down in the depths or whatever, you know, we might just be saying, but we will continue as, as those who have been saved by Christ to give witness that that is our salvation. Uh, I think we get this impression at times that we will... Uh, we better have our speech ready to how to present our life in a winning way. And it might be that we can't present a winning argument at all, but to say, oh, dear Lord, uh, my life is, is nothing without Christ. Um, yeah, but to give this account of Christ, I, I think we, we can create our own fears and worries of if God's going to call that day back up to my remembrance and ask me to talk about it you know or that other day where that thing happened or that that thing that i don't want to talk about to anybody anymore uh, my great failure or my great sin or temptation uh, was very present on on that day and boy i hope that jesus doesn't ask me about that um we, we still i think we when we come at it that way we might still think uh, that giving of an account is a pass-fail event. Uh, we're still saved only through Christ. And when we give an account, we may give glory to Christ for our salvation and simply admit that we are uh, certainly full of the sins that we needed a Savior to forgive. I, I think that people have this idea of going up, just as you said, going up to heaven and we have to either talk Peter into Peter into letting us in, or worse, you know, there's some angel assigned to us, and they have a big scale, and all our good deeds are put on one side of the scale, all of our sins and wicked deeds are put on the other, and you're just sort of waiting to see if it it tips in your direction. I think we get this from from misunderstanding of what it means to stand before God, um, from popular culture and that sort of thing. I can't remember what it was, but there is a movie that I watched as a kid. And it featured uh, when someone got to heaven, it had a bunch of um, angels and they all had like these old, well, it was not old back then, but these like 90s, 80s, 90s computer workstations. And, you know, they were looking up your account to see if you were el eligible to get into heaven. I've used the illustration so often I need to go ahead and try to search the Internet and find out what that was. But the point is, yeah, that's not what it is. I think one way to look at it, too is once you get to heaven and you've been carrying these burdens your whole life, burdens that Christ has forgiven you, 
burdens that the, the Father in heaven that God himself has erased from his own memory, right? Because when you're forgiven, it's blotted out, and you, but you continue to carry them. And so, you know, to have this opportunity to lay them at the foot of the judge, knowing, knowing the verdict could be also free. Certainly one way to look at it. Let's, yeah, and I um, can't, I, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, I can't pretend I have a full knowledge of how that plays out. Uh, you know, there is still some wondering of what the, the moment by moment of that account giving will be. Uh, but I certainly don't think that we're going to have to try to convince an angel or Peter, because I think even at that time, we'll have nothing to fall back on except the grace of Christ himself. Absolutely. Let's move on. I'm going to get the rest of our text under our belt so that we have plenty to talk about. This is going to be verses 13 through the end of the chapter, 23. So Ten verses. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. For whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Wow, just a ton there, but we're going to do our best to get through it. But he begins with the argument that he's really already made. Let us not pass judgment on one another. Take it from there, brother. Yeah, this even started right back in verse 1. Uh, not to welcome, or we should be welcoming someone rather than receiving them with a ready argument, ready to quarrel over things that are not commanded. Verse 1 says over opinions. And so here again, uh, not to put up any great stumbling block for someone who is wanting and desiring to live in a faithful way with Christ, which is exactly what hopefully we are trying to do as a Christian, wanting and desiring to live in a faithful way before Christ. And so if they have a different practice than ours, it's not for us to take them to task for what they think is faithful or holy living and in a, a joyous way that they want to live before God. So to not pass judgment on one another, they have another way that they want to honor God than maybe I do. And to not make a stumbling block or hindrance in, in front of someone. So if I can uh, share just a, a personal example, which is not about food, uh, but I had a, a conversation with, with someone a, a couple weeks ago about beards. 
and the person was saying, seeing the presence of a beard, especially in the Old Testament, becomes something that is commended to men to have. And, you know, there are restrictions put on the Israelites about how much they should shave their beard and things like that. And, uh, I, you know, so he was really saw the fact that he had a beard as uh, part of the way that he would live and honor the Lord, because he says, I'm going to honor the Lord as a male. And so I'm a mostly a clean-shaven man, <laughs> and I have uh, no problem, and it is not a challenge to me to say, I don't mind not having a beard, and I can still honor the Lord. And we had a bit of a back and forth, uh, and uh, understanding that we are both honoring the Lord and not in any way trying to disrespect or disregard God's teachings. Uh, so that's you know what it is here. That nothing, uh, verse fourteen would say, "I am persuaded that in the Lord Jesus, nothing is in is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for the one who thinks it is unclean." So you know, for the the Jewish Christian. If you're still feeling like you, you need or, or want to eat the, the kosher laws and, and to live with the dietary laws of a faithful Jew uh, who believes in the Lord and has recognized Jesus Christ, then that is a way you can honor Christ. And if a Gentile Christian says, I, I cannot follow those laws or I choose not to, uh, then it, it is no uh, insult, or it should be no insult to the Gentile or to the Jew if they practice their faith in these two different ways and to not uh, kind of grieve one another. But if, for instance, these two Christian brothers, one Jewish and one Gentile, uh, come together, verse 15 would say, if your brother is grieved by, you eat, by what you eat, uh, you're no longer walking in the Lord. So if that person is really struggling with uh, you know, the, whatever the food laws might be, or if the pagan Christian, the one coming from a pagan civilization, might have seen, uh, you know, some meat sacrificed to to Zeus or Apollo, and now I'm eating it, uh, I should recognize that he's aggrieved, is the word that they use. He's offended uh, by my practice, and I, I, it would be loving for me to to put that away and to not cause him to struggle in his faith while we were maybe sharing the lunch together. And now we certainly maybe to, want to use our Christian freedom to show love for one another, as you said, but using your own example appears to throw a wrench in it. You know, there must be limits to how we respond to the so-called weaker brother's demand. So using your example, if the person says, I am deeply grieved in my faith by the fact that you are clean-shaven, what do you do? Grow a beard? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, thankfully, both of us recognized that we weren't uh, creating any offense for each other. Um, but if someone said, you have to grow a beard uh, in order to be a faithful Christian male, uh, then I think we probably have to have a talk again around the scriptures and, and, and let Christ lead us through his word. Let the Holy Spirit grant us guidance and hopefully seeing that, uh, you know, these things, these observances and these uh, practices were given in Scripture to the Israelites of the Old Testament. But now, like Colossians 2 would say, uh, the reality is, is fulfilled in Christ. And, and so the, the living of the law 
is no way to salvation. And, and if that is creating, you know, an offense where someone is falling back to the law, uh, there becomes maybe the challenge of how do I walk this uh, fellow brother in Christ uh, into the gospel again? And to say, well, uh, if you're saying that I'm uh, abandoning faith in God by shaving my beard, let, let's review the New Testament and let's review even the Old Testament uh, on this. Uh, but if it's well, just saying, I'm really struggling looking at you with that beard, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. then uh, maybe we, we just try to come to some peace with each other over that. <laughs> sure. Well, therein lies the, the distinction, too. You know, these issues were issues of sincerely held beliefs that had some connection to faith. So for the Jews who would hold certain ceremonies or certain days as holy or have food restrictions, you know, these were things that were genuinely troubling to their faith, not, say, an invention of someone who, you know, doesn't fully understand the freedom of the gospel. So there, there would be a limit there. And I think it's mitigated by verses 17 through 19, which Paul reveals that, you know, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And right. then verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So it, it isn't that the weaker brother gets to demand the stronger brother to do whatever, because if the stronger brother doesn't concede, then they are no longer walking in love, as verse 15 says. It is about this mutual upbuilding or building up. You know, th there has to be some movement in both directions. We have to recognize right. If we feel like we're the weaker, sorry, if we feel like we're the stronger brother, then we must recognize that, yeah, maybe there are some things that we do that might put a stumbling block before someone else. How can we mitigate those things? On the other hand, if you think you're the weaker brother and you're going to use that position to demand others to do other things, you probably don't qualify as the weaker brother. Yeah, I, for me, verse 17 is the, the hinge point or the, the culmination of the whole chapter. Uh, the kingdom of God, and, and right there, to me, it, it, as I was preparing this, uh, really struck the chord that uh, throughout the whole uh, scripture, and especially in the New Testament, they're looking for the kingdom of God. And Jesus will say, the kingdom of God is near to you. Or he'll say, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And, and so here, now that we are in the kingdom of God, uh, Paul is saying, it's not about living by the rules. Are we eating or are we drinking? Are we, are we, uh, is the kingdom of God defined by whether we can dance certain dances or is it defined by our, our liturgical observances? You know, we could fill out anything that we might actually um, become self-righteous over, then that's where we will find the way that we judge others. You know, if I'm self-righteous over the, the eating and drinking, and I think that's the way it's got to be, then that's where I'm going to have to watch that I don't judge others. And I'll have to watch my own self-righteousness. <laughs> um, but the kingdom of God is not about the fulfillment of observances. The kingdom of God is really uh, what takes place in our heart and mind and soul, uh, that it is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It says that there, the righteousness, the kingdom of God, it starts with that righteousness of God given to us 
by Christ's death and resurrection on the cross, delivered to us through the word and the sacraments, and received by us in faith. You know, that's the kingdom of God. It's not really about a dress code. It's not really going to be about, you know, body art or tattoos or piercings and what we think of those uh, or stop music styles. But the kingdom of God will say, do I recognize the work of Christ for my salvation and my sins being real are now washed away and I am clean in Christ. And through that, that we live in uh, peace and joy. And then like you said in verse 19, in peace and mutual upbuilding. Uh, so the observances that we do, it might be of anything, and the example here he gives are days and, and uh, foods, or eating and drinking, but really the observance of being in the kingdom of God would maybe come back to that uh, verse that's in the New Testament, it's quote, you know, it begins in the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, and maybe I got those out of order. <laughs> well, you know, we just, I think that's something we must remember as we Christians seek to navigate a world that is increasingly hostile to our beliefs and to our faith, that when we encounter other Christians who may have different practices, uh, maybe even practices that they are feel bound to because of what they were grew up understanding, that there, there must be this mutual upbuilding and seeking for peace, because that's where we need to unify in the reality that we're all, uh, all those who have faith in Christ are approved for God, and uh, by God, pardon me, they're approved by God, and he's the one who's brought all of these people into faith, and I think we need to celebrate our shared faith, even with those we might have disagreements on these specifics here. I mean, think about it. Jewish Christians would have had a really hard time, you know, just throwing away a lifetime of teaching and habit. So, yes, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him, it's unclean. But there's still room for this mutual upbuilding, which hopefully brings humility to those who feel they are strong and brings more freedom for those who have been, you know, bound in their consciences to things like foods and days. So right. in verse 20, he says, don't for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. You know, he seems to be taking, you know, things like food and days and putting them in a different category. You know, these things are just not important when it comes to the bigger picture. Yeah, um, it, it, he really makes that clear. It sounds like he's just kind of putting it out there like, please don't think that the food or the drinking or the days are the the you know the hill you die on you know the where you choose your battles please don't think that that's where we want to go because it could destroy the building of faith in someone else it could destroy the unity of faith in a congregation uh, so that we don't uh, insist on foods and wind up destroying uh, faith or unity or love or mutual upbuilding right uh, that there for the sake of Whatever the observance is, if it's a food, you know, and and I'll just kind of call it out here. Even among faithful uh, LCMS Lutherans, sometimes we we have a senseless battle over uh, worship practices, over uh, certain things. And I'm not trying to say they're not important. I have all of my own very uh, strong preferences for what I think is best. But if we destroy faith in each other. 
and uh, fail to see how we can help to build each other up, then we, we've lost sight of it altogether. We've lost sight of Christ, and we've focused on uh, really just a rule, and, and a rule that Christ never commanded himself, a rule that maybe Christ has fulfilled, and, and it is all found in Christ. And we shouldn't be trying to fall back again, maybe as the book of Galatians would say, fall back again into the law and forget Christ altogether. Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Here in verse 21, he says something very similar. You know, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine. Thankfully, he doesn't say beer or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. You know, I jokingly threw in there about beer. You know, down south, where I'm from, uh, a lot of Lutheran evangelism is centered on the ability to drink beer as you proclaim Christ to other Christians who already believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in beer. And so it's an attractive evangelism tool. I'm mostly joking, but unfortunately not joking completely. But the idea that there is freedom in the gospel in, in more general terms is attractive to those who have, for one reason or another, you know, not embraced their Christian freedom. But at the same time, Paul seems to be less about let's free these people so that they can understand that they're free to do these things, and more about I'll give up things so that others don't stumble. That's a, a, a difficult position to both, I think, keep and also to have others, you know, keep. Well, sure, it is a... Um that freedom in the gospel is a balance that we live in saying, I'm free to practice, but maybe I'm free to abstain, uh, which is really going to be, I'm free to enjoy uh, things for myself, but also, uh, as he cites, out of love for someone else, I'm free to pursue what is good for that person. You know, I'm free to serve, uh, which sounds maybe contradictory to some people, that thinking that freedom gives me the opportunity to go and do more work uh, and to serve under someone else. But I'm free to look after them and their needs because I don't have to, to worry about my salvation. I, I, I'm confident that Christ is, has saved me. And so now I can enjoy, pursue what is good for that person. And maybe it is to show people the freedom of the gospel and to say, uh, you know, I know this happens sometimes. We'll you know, have a meal and, and uh, the church will have a, a little uh, wine or alcohol with it, maybe at an Oktoberfest or uh, St. Patrick's Day or something like that. And maybe it's also to say, uh, looking out for a fellow Christian, uh, we're going to not put this in their face if they may have a challenge with it. You know, so there may be times where we hear a non-Christian say, but I thought you were a Christian, and you can still do that? And we say, yeah, we're free in the gospel. But we might go to a fellow Christian, and and they might say, but you're a Christian, you shouldn't do that. And, and they're struggling with what we they think is the proper way uh, to observe the Lord. Or maybe, really, I'm flaunting something too much and I haven't considered what would how it would be perceived uh, or received by others uh, so yeah this it, it's a it's a balance of love 
to say, are we going to uh, rejoice in freedom, or am I going to refrain so that I can practice how I care and love for someone who may be challenged by something? A balance of love is a great way to put that. Verse 19, just once again, as we reach the end of our program, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Kevin Yoakum, pastor of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Riverview, Florida. Pastor, thank you for being on the show. It was a joy. And I'm also grateful to you, dear Christian, for listening to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in on Monday as we continue in Romans with chapter 15. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.